In the name of the one God who loves us. Amen. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When Matthew said I had to wear this cope, I learned otherwise. <laughs> At least it's not the heavy one. <laughs> I have to admit that um, I'm feeling a little undone this morning by this celebration, but I'm delighted to see all of you here and my family here, which means a great deal to me. Uh, you all mean a great deal to me. So I thought, isn't it interesting that the reading this morning is part of Jesus' farewell discourses to the disciples? In the Gospel of John, he takes six whole chapters to say goodbye, but he never says goodbye. He just says a lot of things that, as one of my friends said, and I hope the kids don't know what this means, is it sounds like Jesus popped a peyote button. He goes on and on and on. <laughs> and sometimes, for that reason, the Gospel of John is very hard to preach. So I'd like to start with a question that may not seem related at all to all of this or what Jesus is saying. How many of you know how many words the Eskimos have for snow? Anybody know? Todd? 16? You're getting there. <laughs> but that's good. It's more than one. Anybody else have a guess? Tyler? 20? That's even closer. 30 words. Oh, Will, what were you going to say? 18. Those are all good guesses. They have 30 words for snow because their lives depend on it. Imagine taking out for a seal hunt and not knowing what kind of snow to expect. Their lives depended on knowing what kind of snow was out there. Our lives, Jesus is telling us, depend on love. How many words for love do we have in English? One. Robert Johnson, who is a psychotherapist turned Benedictine monk, says that we are deeply impoverished as a community, as a Western society, because we do not honor the multiplicity of feelings associated with love. What, what do we do in our culture? We have bumper stickers. I heart my dog. I, I heart my country. I heart my whatever. We have now emojis who try to capture some of these loves, but we only have one word for love. So what do we do? What do we do when we only have one word for love? Imagine what it would be like if we had a word for love of friend, love of church, love of husband, son-in-law, grandsons, 
daughter, son, husband, parents. What if there was a different word for every single one of those loves? I love my garden. I love it at this time of year. But I don't love it the same way I love Lee. So Jesus spends six chapters talking about love. He's having a hard time leaving. It's hard to leave. Even if the leaving is the right thing and you feel called to leave, it's still hard because there's loss involved. So I think Jesus has a little bit of an attachment disorder. He's worried about his disciples. Maybe he's a little codependent with them. He's not sure they get it. (laughs) So Jesus keeps talking and talking, and he says, understanding the core of what their feeling will be, I will not leave you orphaned. I will not leave you orphaned. I bet every single person in this room knows what it feels like to be an orphan. Knowing that we have an orphan inside of us, usually hidden deep away where nobody can see it, is a key to our spiritual lives. What if Jesus is calling us to embrace that reality, that this is the seed of how God responds to us in this world? Because what is the nature of being an orphan? Longing, a deep longing. And that's where love begins. Because I know it's true and you kids particularly want to remember this, that when we feel alone and orphaned, which we all do at any time in our life, we can say to God, into your hands I commend my spirit. I long not to be orphaned. And there's something in God's ear that hears that and responds to it. Love is a longing. Love is a longing. How many words for there are love in ancient Sanskrit? Ninety. Read Rumi. And Rumi gives us a flavor of what the East is able to articulate in poetry. I love Mary Oliver. Mary Oliver, to me, doesn't often use the word love, but I cry when I read her poetry because there's such longing there, there's such love, there's such engagement with the natural world that love becomes manifest to me. For Kevin and for some other, others of you, it's music that elicits this longing and this connection with something we can't name. Because really, can there ever be any name for love? As much as we say, I love you, there's something still missing from that. 
So I'd like to tell you a story that to me talks about the kind of love and connectedness that Jesus is trying to tell his disciples is the core of God, the core of this world, the core of who we are, waiting, waiting for us to long for it. We often talk of up when it comes to God, but I'm talking about deep. I'm talking about down. So, how many of you are going on vacation this summer? You all have favorite places to go, right? And I know one of our favorite places to go as a family, where we haven't been in a couple of years, is Cape Cod. And I, Lee and I kind of think of Cape Cod as the Holy Land, and I think some of you do too, because there's something about the Cape, the rawness, the ruggedness of it, that speaks to me of the origins of creation, where love began to act and create the world. Because that's how God created the world, with love. What I used to do when I was on vacation, and I was the rector of St. John's Montclair, was I used to pack the car up, and I said to Lee, I need three days alone. And right after the service, I would hop into my car with my bike and kayak on it and head for Cape Cod. And Lee and I rented this wonderful little cottage on Namaqu uh, at the mouth of the Namaquite River. And it was an old dirt road. And by the time I got to the Cape, what do you think it was like? It was a Sunday night. It was dark. And I hit that dirt road, and as soon as my car tires hit that dark dirt road and the roughness of it, I turned off the car, and I turned off the lights, and I started to cry. Meister Eckhart says that God is a dazzling darkness. And I have learned over the years, through some struggles hard and some joyful, that God is in the darkness. And so I long for that solitude. Because I know I'm never alone. That's what solitude is. Presence with God. And so one day... I was practicing writing. I love to write poetry. And I was just doing some word association with the phrase, birds of a feather. And I was very focused on it. And I was thinking of all the words and the feelings I had about birds, birds of a feather, and all of a sudden, what do you think happened? I heard this cry. And I had no idea what it was. And I went out on the back porch, and what do you think I saw? A bird, not just a bird, a bird with a wingspan like this. It was a great horned owl. 
that just swept across the back of the driveway out of one side of the woods into the other. And I thought, this is a visitation. And then I heard another cry, and another, a female, great horned owl, right in front of me. And then another, and a third, a baby owl. It was God. When we long for a connection, nature and God responds. Love is intrinsic to the natural world. We are all connected. Scientists know this now, whether we can see it or not. So the question for us this morning is, how are you orphaned? And how can you embrace that orphan part of you and long for connection? Because love will come in many different forms. Love is waiting. Amen.